I tell you what, we, as you can see today, man, we are truly a family. And what I loved hearing one after one after one of these, of these of rock group leaders were all talking about life together, connecting, SRC family. It's not just something that we say. Do you feel loved in this house? I said, do you feel love? Come on, amen. If you feel love, if you love your church, just make some noise and clap your hands right now. Come on. First thing on your notes is this. This is us. This is the number, part three. I mean, part four. This is us. We connect. This is us. This is the first thing on your notes. This is us. We connect. We connect. So today, we've talked about we give. We've talked about what was last week? I forgot. <laughs> Foundation, we love. And today we're going to talk about we connect. Our foundation, of course, is that we love. But it's, you know, how many knows that you can love somebody but still not get along with them? How many's got family members that you love but you don't like to hang out with them? Some of y'all don't want to raise your hand because they're sitting right next to you. Right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Unfortunately, over the years of pastoring this church, Sandy and I have counseled couples who ended up separating and divorcing who still loved each other. So when I premarital counsel someone, one of, most of the time one of the questions I ask them is, why do you think that, you, that you're supposed to marry this person? Without fail, 99% of those, because I love them. And I'll say, uh, and what else? Because here's the reality. Everybody that's ever got married loved each other. Amen. Sometimes you've got to have something beyond love. Now, you don't need to marry somebody you don't love. But at the, the bottom line is this. There's got to be an ability to communicate. There's got to be an ability to have unity in that home. How many of those, when there is chaos constant chaos, constant disagreement, and you're never on the same page together, even if you love them, your heads will butt so much that eventually you don't even want to talk to somebody you're in love with. Am I preaching right already? Say amen. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 says this, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's the word of God right there. That's not the word of Larry. It says that I'm begging you to say the same thing and there be no divisions among you. See... We're never in this church going to be able to do what God has called us to do if we do not have unity in this house. God began to speak to me midway of 2018 and preparing for us to go back to one service and all the other times that we've ever changed from, from one service to two services. At the core of the reason was growth of the church in numbers and things like that. And we had other motivations that we were trying to strategically do. But this time, all I heard God say to me over and over again is you're going back to one service because I'm about to bring a unity in that house like has never existed. Come on, somebody. Do y'all feel it? Do y'all feel it? God said, "When I, get, I need to get everybody in the room together. 
Because when they hear it and they respond, they will respond together. They will speak together. They will say the same thing together. Somebody shout together. Now, we have to be on the same page in the big picture. Everybody say big picture. The big picture is the vision of this house. That doesn't mean we'll always agree on everything. How many of you ain't always going to agree on everything that happens in your house? But you fight for the unity of your house. But nowadays, can I, be, can I be bold and blunt with you this morning? Nowadays, disagreement, people will think if you disagree with something that they believe or they are doing, that you automatically hate them. Am I preaching good already? The next thing on your notes is this, just because you don't agree with someone, it doesn't mean you are against them. Huh? Just because you don't agree with someone, it doesn't mean you are against them. Nowadays, if you speak out with, uh, on a subject that the Word of God is very clear on, but someone in their, their life has chosen to make that okay in their life, even, even creating in their minds that God made that happen in their life or created them in, in a certain way, and you speak in a loving, not judgmental, not bitterness, because when you bring it in a judgmental and bitterness way, you're just as bad as anybody else. You're just as bad as the one you're trying to help. But if you speak it in love and speak it out of concern because God's word said it, and you're trying to help them see what God's word said, how many of those, they'll immediately call you a hate monger, all kinds of things, and they won't want to listen to nothing you got to say. We live in the most sensitive society in the history of all of our lives. Used to, we could disagree on something and still be able to be friends. Social media has done that on many levels. But there is an underlying, listen to me, there is an underlying demonic spirit happening all around the world, but especially in this country, whose core desire is to bring chaos and disunity. Am I preaching good this morning? And I'm not talking about a Republican. I'm not talking about a Democrat. I'm talking about a devil. Huh? Didn't Paul make it clear to us, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle against demonic forces that is working overtime to bring division to the culture of this country and really ultimately division to the body of Christ. Oh, I'm preaching good this morning. I can tell it. I need to take a drink on that one and let y'all just think about it. This ain't in my notes, but I want to remind you on the power of unity. You ever heard the story in the Bible called the Tower of Babel? Man had become so focused on themselves, they began to build a tower. Of course, we know they would have never been able to build a tower to touch God, to touch heaven. But you understand the symbolism of this. The Bible says they desired to build a temple and a tabernacle and a building and a tower that would reach so high that it would reach the heavens. Of course, we understand that probably meant in their mind what they thought was the atmospheric heavens up into the clouds. 
And they would be able to stand up on top of this and declare themselves to be high and lifted up. That's what Satan said. Satan, when he was Lucifer, uh, the book of Isaiah records the event of when Satan said the words, I will ascend above your throne, O God. Are you hearing me? And as they were building that tower in the Old Testament, the Bible says, God says, we have got to stop them because they are so unified. That nothing they desire to do will not be possible with that level of unity. Even demonic unity. So the Bible says he had to confound their languages so they could not communicate to continue the, the construction. And therefore the languages were scattered. And that is what the Bible says, how languages in the Middle Eastern area was divided. But, but we talk about the Tower of Babel in, in, with the importance of, of the, that's where we get the word babbling on. Well, he's just babbling on. Can't understand. It just sounds like Babel to me because it's not, it's unintelligible. You can't understand it because it's based on the Tower of Babel. But what we miss in that whole story is not the powerful thing that we've always talked about is that's where various languages begin is we miss the fact that God said, we've got to stop them. They are so unified because I gave man dominion on earth. Are you hearing me? That nothing that they desire to do will be impossible against me on earth. So he stopped it. Just as powerful as unity, as unity is, division is also powerful. Because division's purpose is to destroy unity. Am I preaching good? He said, not only do I want you to say the same thing, I beg you that there be no divisions among you. See, everybody in this building, everybody take a breath. Blow it out. I'm just kidding. But I just got hit with a wave of hot air. Just kidding. Y'all are getting hit with a wave of hot air every Sunday morning, aren't you? Of course, James Michael would be the loudest amen. Thank you, bro. Thank you, son. But yeah, love you too. Thank you. Um, but here's the reality. If there's breath in your body, God's not through with you. If there's breath in your body, you still have a purpose. If there's breath in your body, you still have a destiny that you've not accomplished yet. If there's breath in your body, you have a vision for your life. God has given you a personal vision for your life. No one has been called to do what you have been called to do. Can I make it real for you? You know how I know that? Because if anyone else could do what you've been called to do and reach the people that you've been called to reach, there would be no reason for you to exist. God doesn't just make people just so he can have people. He fashions them, forms them, and sends them into this world with a purpose. So don't make, don't make no mistake about it. I'm telling you that you have a vision. Your vision is important to you, and your vision is important to God. But 
This is us. Somebody say, this is us. Say it loud. This is us. Means we have a corporate vision. So we all have a vision for our lives. We can declare a vision for our family. But this church has been given a vision for this house. See, you ever heard the word division? Division is what we, how we say it in our language, division. But a lot of times you can understand a word by breaking it down. Division is broken down. Division. When you look up D-I, it is actually a word, and the word is defined as two, or a splitting. So the word division, division, means more than one vision, two visions. So when there is unity, there is univision. When there is chaos... And there is people fighting against what God is doing. There is division. Now, I'm not a big fan of horror movies. I don't watch a lot of gory horror movies. Back in the 80s, you know, I mean, it was all I could handle to to watch Friday the 13th or something, you know. That was pretty bad. But these movies that y'all watch now, I can't do them, man. They're just too, they're they're too real. They're too, they're too, uh, yeah. But. Let me just tell you something. I've learned this about monster movies. Anything with two or more heads is usually a monster. Huh? We don't usually, in a movie, if you see somebody walk up with two or three heads sitting on a shoulder, you don't see people having casual conversations with them. Huh? They're usually running from something that has more than one head. There is a head in this church. God has placed me as the pastor in this house. There are leaders in this house who serve alongside me in this house. God has put them in our lives to help us navigate our personal visions so that we could be all that God has called us to be. But if we're not careful, many people will use their vision to come against the corporate this is us vision. Now, I have a vision for Larry Raglan, and it's not yours. Sandy has a vision for Sandy Raglan, and it's not mine. But I have a vision as the spiritual leader of my home for my family and for my wife. Are you hearing me? How many believes that that, that's what that means? That I'm supposed to stand in the gap and pray and defend my family. I'm supposed to speak things over my family. I don't have the right to speak on the same level over your family. I could speak over you as a part of a church family here, but I don't have the authority in your house that I have in mine. And you don't have authority in my house the way you do in yours. So therefore, what happens is many times people, because of a great vision personally in their life, a great calling personally in their life, will choose to usurp their vision over the vision of the house. And therefore, when you do that, you are no longer promoting and accepting and flowing in this is us. You're flowing in this is me. Am I good? Is this good preaching? You're always in trouble in the house of God when you move away from this is us and move to this is me. 
Your mind as a believer in this house. I'm not talking about for you personally. I'm not talking about for your family and your loved ones. I'm talking about in this house as a believer and a part of SRC family as saying this is my church and that's my pastor. Your mind should always be thinking what can I do for us? Not what can you do for me? I mean, a great president said that one time, didn't he? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. JFK. See, when there's more than one vision, there's double vision. Double vision. That's a different kind of double vision, okay? Have you ever listened to the lyrics of that song? It's not talking about you're in rebellion. It's talking about you've been smoking some wacky weed or something. (laughs) Next thing on your notes is this. We can't be us if we have double vision. We can't be us if we have division. We can't be us if we have double vision. Listen to what happens on a double, double vision person. James 1 verses 7 through 8 says, For let not that man... Suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Double vision. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when, you're, when you have double vision, you become double-minded. You become double-focused. And the Bible says, is it any wonder that you seem to be in the same rotation of chaos in your life? Because you're never going to receive anything from the Lord living in double vision, double-minded, and division. He says, let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is unstable in all his ways. Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't be unstable. Now I want to ask you a question. It's 1129 if you've got to take a pill. I want to ask you a question. How many believe that with God, nothing is impossible? It's not a trick question. These are not trick questions. How many believes that with God, all things are possible? Do you believe that God is able to do anything? Well, then why does he need us? If God is able to do anything, why does he need us to do anything? Why does he tell us to pray? Why does he tell us to love each other? Why does he tell us to be his hands and feet? Why does he tell us to come together and worship? Read his word. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Over and over and over again, he tells us things that he needs us. Somebody shout us. Us to do. He needs us to be in unity. He needs us to be in one mind and one accord. Don't you know that God wanted to send his spirit from the moment he went to heaven and sent it to the right hand of the Father after he had told that in Acts 1.8? But he had to wait on us to get in unity. It was not until Acts chapter 2 says they dwindled down from several hundred, probably thousands of people who had heard the message in Acts 1 when he said, Go into Jerusalem and tarry in Jerusalem till you shall receive the promise of the Father. Shall be endued with power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. They all, all of them heard that and they all went to Jerusalem. But in a week's time, it had got down to 120 people. And the Bible says when that 121st person, I mean, I'd hate to have been that dude because because. The only way that this happened is when he or she finally left. 
Because once that, whoever that was got out, the 120, the Bible says, were in one mind. Not double mind. Did you hear that? One mind. Somebody shout one mind. One mind and one accord. They were all driving a Honda. Can you believe that? Just one accord. That joke worked back in the barn. I need some new material. But suddenly, somebody shout suddenly. Suddenly came when they got in one accord. That's the power of us. That's the power of one vision. That's the power of one praise. That's the power of one worship. That's the power of one mind. That's the power of us. Shout, this is us. us. Now, how many knows God's God created everything that we see with our eyes, including ourselves? God is the creator. Man is not the creator. Life begins because God put it in us to create life. It it comes from God. Somebody say amen. Man is not the creator. But yet, watch this. Look at this. This is powerful. Even within the Godhead, we learn the power of us. Now, we understand we only serve, serve one God. Now, in this church, some churches don't believe this, but most people in the Protestant church and even Catholicism, most people that call themselves Christians in any way believe that the Bible teaches that we serve one God who reveals himself and manifests himself in three ways. One is the Father, one is the Son, and one is the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Say amen. Genesis 1.26 is my favorite scripture throughout the word of God. I quote it all the time. And this is when he made man. But watch what he says. He's one God. Look what he says. Let's put it up on the screen. Watch this. Then God said, what? Let us. Did you see that? Let us make man in our image according to. Now watch this. And let. Him. Did you see that? Not let him, not let him, not let Adam, one man, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, and all the earth, and every creeper thing that creeps on the earth. So God shows us. The power of us even within the Godhead. One God, we can't understand it. It's too deep for us to get it. But the scripture is scripture. We serve one God. We don't serve multiple gods. We serve one God. And this one God says we need to make God to, I mean, we need to make man to exist and operate the way we do. We're so unified that we're one. I've always illustrated it this way. You can see me right now because lights are shining on me. But not just one light is shining on me. Look up. Multiple lights are shining on me. And a trough of lights that you can't see are shining on me. You can't tell me where one light starts and one light stops and the next one stops. You have multiple lights, but in this room we hit a switch and it turns on the lights. We call it lights, but what it really does is bring light. One light. Are you hearing me? 
So when you look at God, they're so unified, they're so the persona of unity, that it's one God. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We are so alike. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're not ever separated. But look, even within us, we are, this is going to not be proper grammar, but I don't care. Within me is us. Because what, maybe that is proper grammar. That sounded pretty cool. Within me is us. What does that mean? When he said, let us make man in our image, he is one God exists in three persons. He made man. I am one man who exists in three parts. There are two parts of me that you can't see. My spirit man and my soul, my mind, my emotions, and my intellect. The only part you can see is my flesh. Are you hearing me? So even within my creation, your creation, the way we exist in three parts, spirit, soul, and body, was created in the image of God. God says, I'm one God existing in Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are one person existing in spirit, soul, and body. So even within us is unity. Think about the, the, the majesty of your body, how it all has to work together. I mean, if your heart says, I don't want to work with the veins anymore. I don't like them. They're growing in places that I don't feel like they need to grow in. So you know what? I'm, I ain't doing, hang on nothing to do with the veins anymore. You're dead. Right? Huh? Think about all the stuff. I ain't going to get gross on you. Maybe I will. Think about all the stuff that happens. While you are sitting there either in a restaurant today or at your home eating lunch today and you're feeding your face and it tastes so good, but think about all the stuff that's happening inside of you after that. That's all working together. From having to go down the pipe. The pipe's got to let it go down. Hits the stomach. The stomach's going to start, start eating that stuff up. Dissolving it. Then you got other kind of organs that's turning into this, and all of a sudden, part of it takes a turn here and goes in that direction. <laughs> then another part takes another turn and goes in another direction. Come on, y'all hear me? Come on. I mean, how many of you go get some stuff in solid rock, y'all? I'm going to teach y'all some stuff. It's, it comes in one way, but comes out two ways, and sometimes three ways if you're sick. But how many knows your body has got to work in an us mentality? We know what happens when one part of that us decides to shut down. How many knows it affects every part of your body? Your kidneys just say, you know, I'm wearing down. Guess what? Even though they're sitting right there and they have a specific purpose, it begins to affect other organs. Other organs cannot do what they were created to do, even if they're healthy. Because the rest of the body is not in unity. Am I preaching right? The next thing you notice is simply this. As we just said, the Trinity teaches us the power of unity. The Trinity is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity teaches us the power of unity. Now, what is really mean by when we talk about connecting 
in unity, getting in one accord, coming together in worship. Another word for connecting is assembly. You know, even there's a particular Pentecostal denomination called the Assembly of God. That just simply means the congregation of God, the people coming together in God. Can I get an amen? Hebrews 10.25 says this. Listen to the wording. Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see that day approaching. Now, some of you probably figured it out by now, but I've got an illustration. On this platform, I have two chairs. They are absolutely identical. They came in the same box. They're put together the same way. But there is one very, very stark difference. One has been assembled and one has not been assembled. One is full of parts that all have a purpose, but none of them can be used for its purpose because for whatever reason, they've either chosen not to connect with the people they need to connect with. Are you hearing me? Or, here's the big one, they have stood up and said, I am the back of a chair. I know my purpose other than that cushy, soft thing there who has never had to deal with what I deal with. He's all soft and cushy and everybody wants him. But I'm really the, the most important part because without me, you'll fall over backwards. So I am very important and I don't need that cushion. The cushion... Says, oh yeah, everybody wants to be me. Because I'm the part that people judge a seat by. When they sit down and they call it comfortable, they referring to me. I'm the most important part of a chair. So you know what? I don't need you back. I am the one that takes care of all their butts. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I meant I'll serve God, but I ain't got the time. I'll go to that church, but I don't feel like they are using my gift. I want to serve, but I ain't parking no cars. I want to serve, but I ain't working no nursery. I don't need nobody. Huh? Now watch this. Watch this. Next thing on your notes is this. The church assembly is where we connect the parts of the body. The church assembly is where we connect the parts of the body. Now, let me show you something. Watch this. Somebody said there's two chairs. 
One is connected. One is us. One is me. See, when storms come and you ain't put together, this is what happens to you. You wonder how you get to the place that you're at. It's because you're living a life that is scattered all over the place, doing your own thing. Huh? And you wonder why you can't handle it. Some of y'all are like, I'm that piece. <laughs> Watch what happens when the wind blows. It might get knocked down. But it did not fall apart. Did you hear what I just said? That's the key. It can keep getting knocked down over and over. All it needs is one of us to pick it back up. If it's a part of us, if it's this is us, we're watching. We're picking our brothers back up. If you're connected, we'll pick you back up. Over and over and over again, we'll pick you back up. And you can still operate in your purpose. Just because you got knocked down, just because you got thrown in the middle of a storm. If you're this is us, you, you didn't lose your purpose. Is this good preaching? See, that's the assembly. But here's what you don't really like in most people. Don't want to be this piece. It's because, you know, that's a pretty good chair here. But the most important part of this chair is not the seat, it's not the back, it's not even the crossbars, which are very important. And by the way, this little dude right here that you don't want to be, it's really important. You know what the most important part of this chair is? The screws. The bolts. Because without this little bad boy right here, none of these parts can stay together. Holds the seat, holds the legs, has the support bar that goes over. It isn't the seat in the back and the legs that hold it together when that happens. It's the nuts and the bolts and the invisible and the quiet behind the scenes that never gets the attention that's holding it together. I wish somebody helped me preach in this place. So while you're desiring to be on the stage, God said, maybe your job is to lift up, support, and hold up the ones that God has put up here with no agenda other than my place is to support in this house my leaders. Come on, give him praise. 
See, the problem is this. When a church grows, the pastor gets most of the credit. When the church fails, the pastor gets most of the credit. But here's the next thing on your notes. Growth and loss of a church are mostly tied to the commitment of the us in the house. Growth and loss of a church are mostly tied to the commitment of the us in the house. This church will grow because you prayed, you worshiped, you invited, you loved people when they walked in the door, not my preaching. Because if they don't feel loved in the parking lot, if they don't feel safe when they drop their kids off at the check-in, if they don't feel like they've been loved when they come in this building, if they don't feel the presence of God when they're in the middle of worship, if they don't feel like they're in a safe environment, it doesn't matter how good I preach. They can get good preaching on their phone, praise God. They can get preaching, good preaching anywhere in the world. They've got to feel us. Somebody shout, this is us. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a worshiper. And David knew the power of us. David knew it was more than just him and his harp. David knew that God had called him to take his harp and lead people into the presence of God. Sometimes it was individuals. Sometimes he'd go to Saul who had demon spirits on him and he'd play his harp and, the, and it would, it would, he wouldn't be playing for himself. He'd be playing for God, of course, but he'd be playing to help his brother, help his, help his leader, help his king. And as he would play that harp, the Bible says the demon spirits would lift off of Saul while he played for somebody else. Psalm 34, David says this in verse 1, I will bless the Lord. Everybody say I. How knows it's important you can't be a part of us until you're an I, because us is made up of a bunch of eyes, right? How many knows we're all I? Someone say, I'm an I, but this is us. Say it again, I'm an I, but this is us. So he understands in order to be a part of an us, you got to be an I. Is this deep? I, first of all, will bless the Lord when? When? When I get my way, is that what he said? All times. When I feel good in my body. When I, when I get a raise. When my candidate is in office. Well, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall what? Continually be in my mouth. Now, you've heard that, but watch that. Watch where it goes. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble, say humble. humble. That's very key. Shall hear of, it, hear of it and be glad. But then he does a charge. Verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord. What? With me. And what? Let us. Exalt his name together. Come on, give him praise. Come on, give him praise. Magnify the Lord with me. And let us, this is us, exalt his name together. David knew the power of let us. This is us. The last thing in your notes is this. There's just something about on us praise huh we just experienced it just a, a few minutes ago 
when the people just begin to let, a, let, a, let us praise come out. Come on. When we begin to magnify the Lord together, let us praise. All of a sudden, we forget about our agendas. We forget about, in that moment, our problems. And all the backs in the house. All the backs in the house. My backwards. Thank you. So you gotta have instructions. That's what the Bible is. Basic instructions. B-I-B-L-E stands for basic instructions before we leave earth. Now watch this. Then the sport legs start coming together. Say, you know what? I know who I am, but for whatever reason, I can't seem to get it together. You see how it starts looking right? And all of a sudden, the seat gets up and says, I'm tired of thinking it's all about me. I can't, I can't do what I'm called to do without the rest of it. And we all start coming together. And when we all start praising, we come in the house looking like this. And the enemy says, I got you. I got you. To lose your job. Family's sick kids are rebelling that's the way your whole life has looked when you come together in one praise let me tell you what you do wait a minute here's the shouting line when you come together in praise and you are assembled remember what what the writer of hebrews says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some and even more so as you see that day approaching what you really are doing is preparing a seat for the Lord. Come on, somebody. Hey! Give Him praise. Give Him praise all over this house. Come on. Hallelujah. Lord, you are welcome in this house. We have made a place for you in this house. We have made a place for you in this house. Come and sit in our presence, Lord. Hallelujah. Remain standing. The Bible says he inhabits. Listen, he inhabits the what? The praise of what? His people. Go look up that word inhabit. That word inhabit is defined. Enthrones and sits among. So when this is us becomes truly us. What really happens is we create something in the midst of our this is us praise that prepares an invitation and we say, Lord, come and take over. Sit. Whoever's singing up here, no matter who's leading, Jesus is sitting right here. No matter who is preaching, Jesus is sitting right here. No matter who is working in the altars in the prayer team, Jesus is sitting right here. No matter who's handing out a worship guide in the back of the church, let me tell you something. Jesus is sitting right here.